1: Back, everybody, to another episode of Benched with Bubba, episode 288. going to talk some more fantasy baseball, get some strategy, some uh, – I, I get to become a believer tonight, it sounds like, and, and a bunch of other fun stuff, a ton of listener questions as they came through in a big way. But in order to help with all of this, and especially the Shane Bieber report, I can't wait for this, uh, you can find him on Twitter at rundmcd. Dave McDonald, how we doing, man? Hey, good, Bubba. Uh, thanks for having me on, man. Appreciate it. Big fan. No problem. I'm looking forward to it. It's been fun getting to know you uh, over the last year or so on the Twitter and watching your uh, your deal and everything you're doing because you're a big time into this and it's fun because there are so many people on Twitter. Like it's always new faces. So when I started getting to know you, then I realized you've been playing in the NFPC for 13 years. I'm like goodness gracious. Yeah. So uh, why don't you give us like a, a background on who you are in your fantasy baseball world and all that kind of fun stuff?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so. Fancy baseball has always been a passion of mine since I was little. I, I think I think I started when I was uh, – uh, it had to be like 11 or 12, something ridiculously young, like back when uh, – and I'm 36, by the way, so, uh, you know, this is a while ago. We are the this same is- age. Oh, okay. All right. Yep. Yeah. Um, and this was back when, you know, you were playing out of like a magazine. It would list like all the salaries. I think it was like sporting news or something, and, uh, you know, I, I – I, I it, like building a team, even like at that age. I just wanted to build a team, you know, using these salaries and everything. And, you know, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. There was no stat cast back then, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you no know, sabermetrics. metrics. Uh, you know, it was just, uh, I, I remember making changes like from a cruise that I was on with my family. I'd have to call mm-hmm. in and they, they charged you money to like move guys from like your bench. You'd be like, taxi player, five, six, zero, seven, two, starting lineup. Um, and I think uh, I think maybe Vlad will remember those days, too, because he used to play uh, CDM and whatnot, too. But, oh, man, um, it's it's a whole new game these days for sure.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it definitely is. I've heard stories about those old days. I didn't start playing until my freshman year of college, but I used to play um, fantasy football in high school, and then I, I started playing, as nerdy as this may sound, I was never, like, into Magic the Gathering or anything like that. But <laughs> um, baseball had that showdown game where you buy packs of cards, you create your lineup, you roll the dice, you play the game. And they'd have, like, leagues oh, in really town. Really so it's okay. basically it's basically like playing fantasy baseball before fantasy baseball. So it's kind of fun. You get to create your rosters and they all, like, you know, Pedro Martinez was a stud and all these other deals. Oh, like yeah. It. So it, it was kind of a, a different animal back then as close as I got to it. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, – I've Heard the stories of, the, I believe you said CDM or whatever the yeah, call in and, and move, it's crazy. And
2: uh, you know, I those so it, it started with the salary games, and then um, which was called budget baseball at some point, I think maybe later down the line. And then they also had what was called draft and plays, and they were 10 team leagues where you would just have a snake draft, um, and you know, would pay out like the top two spots. So it was kind of like before there was fan tracks, before there was. I I mean, NFBC was around, I think, back then, but I didn't find out about NFBC until my senior year of college, I believe. I I was 23, I remember. And um, I had, like, it it costs like $1,600 to do the main event, for those who don't know. Um, Yes, we are that crazy. So, um, but it had, like, you know, this big prize, you know, you win $100,000 if you get first place. And then there's league prizes, too. You know, if you win your league, it's like $6,000. And then second place, you know, you like double your money. So, you know, I'm like, yeah, I think I'm going to, in then third place, you get your money back. So I'm like, yeah, I think I'm going to get, you know, my money back. And I didn't know, you know, I, I mean, I was good, but I wasn't that advanced back then. So, um, but anyways, I used every cent that I had, you know, as a poor college kid and uh, went out to Chicago. My dad had moved out there um, at the end of his job. They made him transfer to Chicago from Cleveland. We're from Cleveland. And, uh, he, so he had to live out there and then he'd drive home on the weekends to see my mom, but, uh, he had a condo out there. So I was like, okay, uh, they, they drafted in Chicago, Vegas, and New York. I'm like, okay, I can go out to Chicago, take a mega bus there for like, you know, 20 bucks and stay at my dad's place with him. So I did that the first year. Um, and I ended up getting third place. Uh, you know, I, whether I got lucky in that, I don't know, but <laughs> Um, I was just happy to get my money back, but uh, man, from then, I was just addicted. And then uh, the next year, came back with, uh, brought my boys with me, um, Jake Halsker, who, uh, who's who been along for the ride with me this whole time, and Tony DiVincenzo, same thing. Tony and Jake haven't always uh, played NFBC until recent years, but uh, last year, Jake actually ended up being the auction overall champion, so uh I'm super funny. proud of him for that. I know, I know. It's like you, you know, you bring your friends into this, and it's it's really cool because I think one of the advantages I have in this industry is that I have those two, and then another friend we brought in last year, our friend Marcus, um, who has gone from a basic fantasy baseball player to really fucking good in a very short amount of time. So it's really cool to have three people. We have a constant text string. We text each other about baseball every day. You know, it's like anything that happens we're talking about it and it's so helpful to have other people on your level who you can discuss these things with so it's it's i
1: don't know if funnies are but it's funny you mentioned that because you look at a lot of the the guys that we we look at in the industry that are are big time nfpc players vlad rob silver matt modica they're all buddies like they all the, the same thing you just said is they either play together on the same teams, or they're at least—I can only imagine—the text threads they have, like because they oh, yeah. talk all the time about stuff. I, I um, tweeted
2: about this a while ago. I, I said it's not a coincidence, you know. Some of the best players, you know, they're all and Scott Jensen. I think talks with yep, Vlad, and, and, yep. like they're all friends. And and you know, uh, when I met Vlad, he was part of what was called the Kelly Cartel with uh, this guy Randy Moore. And I, I don't know, remember if there's a third guy or not, but um, you know, Vlad and I have known each other through NFBC for probably. I mean, I probably met him the first year I went to Vegas, which was my third year. So back when I, like 10 years ago, maybe, I mean, somewhere in that time frame is where I first met Vlad, because we were like, you know, in a room full of, you know, 50, 60 year old guys, we look around and we're the only guys <laughs> who are, you know, like in our 30s, 20s, you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. hey, what's going on? <laughs>
1: yeah, you stand out, you stand out pretty good there.
2: Yeah, and I mean, you know, I'm six five, so I, I don't need a whole lot of help standing out in the first place. <laughs> but uh, that, that definitely adds to
1: it. Nice, nice. So you said when you played the the main event the first time, you were hooked. Uh, yeah, I I understand that money does a lot for that, like that gets your juices flowing and everything. But like one of the things I've been kind of campaigning for is people trying like the fifty dollar qualifiers, whatever, to build a bankroll to maybe one day yeah. getting to that level because. You know, people got in, in an uproar when I said something very simple before. So I'm trying to, to to justify the means and show people that you can do these things. And so you're
2: uh, not taking all the money that you have and throwing it all in uh, the first year, like yeah, I did. Exactly. Yeah, that probably that probably be a better idea. Yeah.
1: But uh, what I was gonna say is like when you when you throw it all when when you when you go to the main event when you go to NFPC, yeah. what is it about the NFPC that you find to be so much? more different because it seems like anybody that plays the NFPC, once you play it you're pretty much hooked and you don't want to play really any other formats it sounds like you you do because we have friends that are in other leagues or you somehow you know you have industry leagues or you have other things you're a part of and it's not a big deal like you can still do that it's cool but you you know the vibe that people that play in a lot of these leagues it's all about the nfbc what is it specifically that 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 feeling or what is it about the leagues that you get that you like
2: Right. And uh, so there's a lot of reasons. But first of all, I was I was going to say, you know, when we talk about NFPC, I know sometimes uh, it comes off as like elitist and stuff. And and I don't ever want it to sound that way, you know, because it's it's this great community that's it's really helpful and welcoming to people. Um, But I know that uh, I think earlier this offseason, Bubba, I, I think we were talking and you were saying it bothered you that, you know, sometimes people made like gave the impression that if you're not an NFBC, you're not like a good fantasy baseball player. Is that, yeah. And you know, I want to put a stop to that perception. You know, I totally understand why people feel that way, but um, you know, there's plenty of people out there who are great players playing in lower stakes and friends leagues and everything. Who either just haven't done NFBC yet. Maybe they never will. And that's fine. Um, But I will say that there's something to being a part of that community. Like I wouldn't be, nearly as good if I didn't play because I've learned to be one of the better fantasy players by playing with the best. And many of them happen to play in NFBC um, iron sharpens iron. You know, it's like mm-hmm. the discussions that I have with these people, the strategies I've had to think of to stay ahead of the best in the game. Uh, it's all made me a much better fantasy player. And uh, you know, the live drafts um, attract the best players because what their psychos are going to travel hundreds of thousands of miles across the country to draft a damn fantasy team yep. uh, <laughs> but uh people you know willing to put thousands of dollars on the line in a single league only do so if they're either ridiculously rich and have money to burn or they're very confident in their abilities and are able to make a profit doing it so um i think that's kind of where that comes from but i don't the vast majority i'd say like 95 percent of the people are not like elitist about it they're super welcoming um I mean, it, it's one of those things where you sort of kind of have to experience it for yourself. But the thrill of being in a live draft table with like some of the best people playing in the world—there's nothing like it. It's you know, it's exhilarating. I I, I love it, and it's what I look forward to doing the most every year. So yeah. you know,
1: I, I look forward to doing it one of these days. But uh, yeah, like yeah, I told you, you the other, that.
2: That'd be awesome.
1: Yeah, like I told you the other day, I was like I'll I'll probably come out and hang out for yeah. a, a couple of times before I do it. But uh, one of these days, I'll do it. Um, do you foresee yourself once I, I stay optimistic? I know not everybody is once we have a season this year, I, I mm-hmm. really think we, we will. And the NFC I, opens uh, up some NFC opens up some tournaments. Will you be going to Vegas if they offer it?
2: Oh yeah. I mean, a hundred percent, but uh, I, I don't know. I just, especially like Vegas being the, the, like the big city that it is. I just, I don't know if they want to have that. Yeah big of a risk i mean like you're at a draft table i i guess you could put people six feet apart mm-hmm. uh it feels like it would be a challenge though and everyone would have to be wearing masks I, mean, I don't know I just logistically and having to put it all together in a short period of time um we're not thinking that that's going to happen this year
1: yeah i agree it's gonna be very complicated but at least they'll have online. so yeah, I, i'd imagine yeah. that those will feel just fine like i I know I was getting ready to do some more when March 13th hit, I was literally getting ready to sign up for one like that night or the next night that was going to go live and it all just kind of went crashing down. I was like, right, I'm just going to wait a little bit now. Let's see what happens here. Um, and
2: uh, I also yeah. want to clarify too with, with NFBC leagues, like if you do like a satellite league, an online satellite league, it's, it's really no different than say fan or Yahoo in terms of, uh, difficulty level, as long as you're avoiding some of the big sharks, you know, uh, it's really the live NFBC leagues where you're gonna be you're gonna be in shark infested waters. You know those are uh, those are where the big boys go because uh, you know it's it's just kind of the place to be. But you know I I personally play other things besides NFBC as well. Like um, I, I like Fantrax a lot. Um, they pay out a much higher percentage. So yes. NFBC can't afford to pay out uh, like I think they pay out like eighty percent, whereas Fantrax pays out ninety six percent. But Fantrax only has online leagues, right? You know, like NFBC has to worry about venue costs and food and drinks. Yeah, the, and...
1: the overhead's way different for Fantrax.
2: Exactly, well. exactly. So I like both. You know, I I uh, it, there's definitely brand loyalty. I'm not going to stop doing NFBC, but I also think that if you're looking to turn a profit, it's smart to have money invested in other places where you're, also, you're getting paid out more, but you're also probably facing slightly lesser competition than the live leagues for NFBC too.
1: So you yeah, kind totally, of want Yeah, that totally makes sense. Like I tell people for the NFBC, I think you're in some pretty, you know, fair water when you get up to like the 150-ish range. Once you get the 350 online championships, you're going to start getting a little murkier. So a little more right. shark infested, and, yeah. and then it just goes a lot up of from the
2: there. Sharks won't play anything, you know, below – 350 is even for for a lot of them. They won't even bother with 350 leagues, but um, the online championships, they'll often do those because of, because of the big overall prize. Yeah, the overall but, prize, uh, yeah. Right, but but generally, yeah, like you said, you want to stay under that level if you want to, uh, you know, like the 150 satellites are are a great place to learn. You know, you you win a thousand bucks for winning the league, and uh, the competition is not going to be
0: overwhelming.
1: Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, Let's talk about your relief picture chart. We're going to get to strategies and everything later because a lot of that's going to be entailed in the uh, 37 plus questions we have coming up. Um,
0: (laughs) Good old Alex. Yeah, good old (laughs) Alex.
1: Plus a few other ones we have. So those will pretty much take up all our strategy and all that good stuff. So we'll get to that in the listener questions. Uh, um, I want to talk about your relief picture chart because one thing I love about the industry is not everybody's willing to do it and some people kind of half admitted it when when they had interactions with you on this but i love the people that just put out their stuff like i put out my rankings vlad a lot of guys a lot of guys put out their rankings (laughs) but there's some guys that are kind of nervous about it because just like you've said is if if people see it now they know where i stand i'm like okay but my theory is if you think you're that good then you can still overcome those things um what what's the basis beh- besides your uh, beh- behind your closer breakdown rankings cuz you, you do the color coding you, you do things a little different that kind of threw people for a curveball let's say yeah. so what's your yeah. basis here
2: <laughs> so um my basis is uh when i started to become a better player it was because i learned to understand that the stats were only a part of the picture um i see a lot of people especially with the stat cast there they get so giddy over stats and you know i get it um i you know enjoy looking into all the you know we were just talking about all these new stats that come out every day you know alex chamberlain's got a new stat out fast has got a new stat all these guys um and it's cool because like everybody's trying to progress the industry forward but a lot of these things we don't know what their effectiveness is especially like year-to-year correlation like um, and we'll get into it later when I convince you that Shane Bieber is awesome. But uh, <laughs> but a lot of people put so much stock into, like, one stat. They'll see one stat and they'll be like, oh, his hard hit rate was so high last year. I'm avoiding him in all drafts. And it's like, you're missing the boat. Um, because these same people who are unwilling to, quote, risk taking Bieber are fine taking Chris Sale, when it was clear as day that the dude was going to be out with Tommy John and I had him unranked and everybody's like, why aren't you ranking Chris Sale as a top five pitcher? And I'm like, because he's not going to pitch this year. It's very obvious. Like people are so willing to overlook other risks just because of stats. Like they're like, oh, but he's got such great stuff. And I'm like, that's great, but that's not all that matters. So a lot of what drives the way that I do things is I don't really use, I don't make my own projections. Um, I look at a player's um ceiling and their floor and then what they're likely to give me. Um usually as like a basis uh during the draft, we'll use uh Chandler's stats from from his book because I don't like stats that are too conservative. Like most projections are really conservative. I like to see where different projection systems have players at to see if there's any like big discrepancies. Um, Like it was really interesting to see like Luis Robert and stuff like I was not expecting to see the projections that that they projected for him but um, yeah like I I look at the whole picture right like you can see from my closer chart I'm looking at not just their skills, but job security experience closing which sounds like it shouldn't matter but to close to the managers it does so it should matter to you too. Um their trade risk and their health risk. So um, job security is first and foremost the most important thing when it comes to closers. You know, and it's like um, you know, I didn't know if you had any questions in particular of what I have here, but um, you know, when you're talking about guys like Josh Hader, Taylor Rogers, Nick Anderson, Rysel Iglesias, Giovanni Gallegos, like they all have good skills, but how secure is their job? I'm not drafting a reliever at pick 60 who might not have the job if Corey Kniebel is healthy. Um, You know, and and I'm not saying Josh Hader is not going to have, you know, saves, but what happens if at some point, maybe not right off the bat, but some point down the line, maybe Kniebel takes over some of those saves. I mean, is that out of the realm of possibility? Uh no, definitely not. I think, I think it's probably likely that he gets at least some saves, right? I mean, uh, you know, they, they chose him as their closer over Hater a couple of years ago, and then he got injured. But, you know, a lot of people are like, well, but Hater's better. But not every team looks at their closer as their best reliever. So, you know, you can't really think that way. And the Brewers have said that they like Hater in that, like, fireman role. You mm-hmm. know, if there's a big situation, we can put him in the 7th or the 8th we have that flexibility. Okay. Well then he's probably not going to be getting as many saves. And when I'm drafting closers, cause to compete in an overall, you cannot fade categories, right? Like you can't just say, I don't like saves or I don't like steals. So I'm just not going to draft them or I'm going to put all my emphasis elsewhere. You can't do that. You can do that in, um, in a single league. If you want to fade something because you're that confident you can dominate, but you are not winning an overall prize with a team that, cannot compete in a category so no doubt about that so like job security is infinitely more uh important than skills the skills only matter insofar as you're good enough to close if you're if you're like jose leclerc is uh is a skills risk and, and wade davis you know leclerc walks the world i Uh, you know, I can easily see him losing his job because he gives up way too many walks. So that is a concern for me, even though he has security there because they really don't have too many options behind him other than like Montero and Demarcus Evans if they bring him up at some point. Um, But yeah, that's so really the way I look at things is I look at what are the risks with someone. So, um, you know, you can see that from my chart. You know, I I look at here's the risks, here's their strong points, and then that's kind of how I make my rankings.
1: I like it because it's different than the norm where everyone's kind of basing it off of the stats, the projections, like you were saying. It's just, let's look at the reality of the situation here. Security, yeah. skills, uh, experience. Because you mentioned that some people don't think about it, but I've, I've said it many times when you're speculating on committees or the next man up in a potential whatever, that a guy that has closing experience is huge because we've seen it time and time again for people who watch baseball enough. A good, good reliever might be great, but he just can't close because that ninth inning is a different animal. People have talked about it many times. It takes a different headspace to be a good closer. And it, so some guys just might not have it. That's what makes it interesting. Um, there's always the the market for trades, like you said, health and whatnot. The hater one I think is very interesting because you bring up a great point that he was a fireman. They even used him last year in two-inning roles. Same with Taylor mm-hmm. Rodgers. They did that a lot with Taylor Rodgers. He, yeah. he got a ton of saves from Minnesota. Baldelli flat out said – we're going to use him for two innings at a time, and give him a couple days off. Do it again. That's good if he's solid and gets a lot of chances. At the same time, it's a lot of wasted chances where, like, a Sergio Romo or someone could go and pick up like Trevor May or someone could pick up saves for Minnesota for
2: free off the off your waiver wire, um, right? And you know, Romo has forty five saves the last two seasons. Yep. You know, they he's know he's outstanding he everywhere he goes. Granted, he's getting older, and his you know he's definitely. Declining in some ways, but that as long as that slider stays effective, they still know that they can use him there. And the thing with Rodgers is they've never come out and said, he's our closer. He's their only lefty in their bullpen. Um, they tried really hard to get Kirby Yates and Ken Giles last year at the trade deadline. And that was after Taylor Rogers was pretty well uh, ensconced in that closing role. So it's like obviously they don't think of him as like this is our definitive closer. Yet people want to draft him as a sixth closer off the board because, you know, he had really he was really good skills-wise last year. And I, you know, like again, you're missing the point. It's not about the skills. It's because I can draft a good reliever, 275 picks after him, and James Carrenshack, who might be who might end up with as many saves as Taylor Rogers. So it's like, Mm -hmm. I just I can't do that. I'm not gonna draft a guy who but four saves, who's not giving you saves?
1: Yeah, and uh, looking at your chart, I don't think we could be in any leagues together because uh, <laughs> your guys in green and yellow are pretty much some of my major targets in drafts. So uh, this is not going to work here. out well. Um, <laughs> that's, that's just not good. Look, looking at what you have going on here, this is not going to work out for us. Um, you do have some guys. I'm just curious on how yeah. you, um, like, say, let's say Roberto is doing A lot of it could be price point here, but. You know he's green, 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 green. No trades, no health issues. But you have him as a yellow. Can you kind of let everybody know? Like is that just because he's like your second tier of options, or what is it there?
2: Oh yeah, I know. So the thing is, I make these charts for myself. You know, I'm not, uh, I'm not Vlad getting paid to put out stuff. So (laughs) uh, my way of thinking is, um, you know, I'm I'm happy to explain it to people, but uh, I want to make it first and foremost that I I understand what I'm doing, but yeah, I I can get how that can be confusing. So the guys on the left are the the guys who are highlighted. Um, Green are targets for me. And then yellows would be like um, secondary targets, I would say. like I would prefer probably to wait past Osuna, even though Osuna is still a good value at 84. I'm probably still looking uh, to go elsewhere other than closer at 84, uh, whereas, whereas ADP is. But you know, if Osuna were to fall down closer to where, you know, Kenley Jansen is going, um, you know, closer to at least the 100 range, then I'm probably looking to pounce on Osuna for sure. Um, okay, but so the green guys are more like the guys who I'm actively targeting. Like, I like where they go. Like, you can see where I have them ranked compared to uh where they're going ADP-wise is much higher. So that's why they're my targets because that's like – that's where the value is. And that's how I approach drafts is I look for where do I rank a guy much higher than ADP has am going. So and then I base my draft on getting the best values that I can everywhere uh that I can, pretty much.
1: It it's good you put the chart out like this and left it ADP ranking instead of your rankings, because as much as I am all about making someone get tilted on rankings because I always tell them they're your rankings, so don't worry about whatever anyone else says, like this is your deal. And um, I, I love someone. If someone were to see Josh Hader ranked 13th, they might blow a gasket. I think it's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I, I'm all I'm all for that kind of uh, fun on Twitter. Uh, but um, over overall, I, I'm a big fan of of a lot of these rankings and what I see here. Thank you. What would it What would it take um, to like? I don't know the right way to to say this. Like job security, I know is a very very big thing. Now you got a guy like Rocio Iglesias who should have pretty good job security. The trade is a concern though. But say, so going to the draft, you can't figure this out, but what would it take say in spring training to change your mind, like on different players in regards like that, like Hunter Harvey, you have as a yellow and I'm with you there a hundred percent, but you are kind of concerned about his security and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, mm-hmm. the upside's huge. What would it be to change some of your mindset on some of these guys?
2: Yeah. Um, so just to touch on what you were saying before, the the reason for, like, Rysel Iglesias's security is because it seems like the Reds have been trying to replace him as their closer for years. Like, I don't think he was ever meant to be their closer. I mean, every year there's, like, a – it's a big thing with him. Like, he pitched really well. I mean, last year the stats were not great. You know, he gave up a lot of home runs with the juiced ball. But before that, you know, he was in, like, the twos, I think, for his ERAs. Like, he was doing well. But the Reds have always – you know, because he started as a starter and then – they moved him to reliever, but I don't I think they want to use him more in that fireman multi-inning role. I don't think they really want him as their closer. And now that but they just never had any other options. I mean their bullpen sucked for years. But last year they, you know, Lorenzen and Stevenson started to develop, and now they added Pedro Strap too. So I feel like now that they have some options, there's a chance that they could I don't think they'll start with one of them as closer, but I think that they could take over for Iglesias. At some point, or at the very least, they might trade for a closer because that would allow them to use Iglesias in a different role. Um, with Harvey, he's an unknown, and for me, when it gets to a certain point, um, I'd rather have an unknown than a known. You know, if it's uh, if it's a known mediocre or crappy pitcher, I, give me the unknown because who knows? He, maybe he could be good. I I don't love him being in the AL East. Um, you know, he's he's projected to have a pretty high whip in ERA. Uh, but, you know, compared to the guys who I have ranked after him, I I would rather take that shot on upside, as you were saying. Um, It it just makes sense to me. Like the the unknown can be better than the known when the known is is not a good uh, quality.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. That's why I was just curious on that one. Uh, It's a very fun chart. Uh, I like how you broke it down again, like nothing we ever really – see out there are you planning on doing this with other positions and if so are you releasing those for the twitter uh, <laughs>
2: yeah so <laughs> yeah there's been a lot of, uh, a lot of conversations with uh other nfbc guys of like oh man can't believe you put that out there I, you know it's, you know and people uh i respect it like i said i think I, it's
1: outstanding yeah.
2: um it is sort of a commentary on the fact that i believe in my ability to make adjustments if i need to but it's also that a lot of these people that I play with, you know, Vlad and, uh, Gecko was commenting on it. And Brian Vogel, who I talked to a lot, they're all really good players and they all have their own rankings, right? Like Mm -hmm. while, while if we have a similar target, like if they're also really high on Joe Jimenez, they're probably going to take him, you know, make sure they get him before I do. If they look over at my team and say, huh, Dave only has one closer and he still needs a second guy. I bet he's hoping to take Jimenez. So I'm going to screw him over and take him here, even though otherwise I probably would have let him go. So, um, it's very possible that that could happen, but at the same time, I feel like I want to progress myself as a fancy baseball analyst, um, more than I want to, you know, give myself an advantage in the draft. And I told Vlad, you know, I did this to him years ago. <clears throat> uh, I knew that he was higher in Korea than Lindor. And there was a point where I was drafting 14th and he was 15th and I let Lindor go knowing he was going to come back to me because I knew Vlad wouldn't take him. Uh, otherwise, I would a hundred percent taken him there instead. But uh, it, yeah, that was uh, I was able to uh, use Vlad's information that he was putting out against him in that case. So hopefully, that doesn't happen to me. But it, you know, it's it's always a oh, it possibility. It will.
1: There's no <laughs> doubt about it. Um, it. But like I said, you find that as a compliment because that means that they're either yeah, on the same page absolutely. as you and they and they know about it. And like he said, right. using it against Vlad. Hey, you can ask Toby about it. Batflip crazy. I know Comac do one of the regular listeners of the show. He's asked questions on shows just to like poke the bear some more. Toby and I <laughs> are in the barf, the barf draft together and uh, okay. the Bay area roto draft. And we were sitting next to each other at the table and we do that every Monday night show. We've done all our rankings together on the show, all this stuff. <laughs> and I, I know how he feels on guys. You knows how I feel on guys. Yep. Well, I was sitting there waiting on closers, waiting on closers. And he loves, loves Tony Watts or uh, no, not Tony Watson. Um, Oh, why did I just complete? Will Smith. Will Smith of Atlanta. And he was waiting on closers, too, and he's the pick right before me. He was picking fourth. I was picking third. And he goes, he picks Mark Melanchin. And I was like, what in the world? So I just walk right up, and I take Will Smith. And everyone's like, what are you doing? I'm like, A, I got another pick coming back with B. I need a closer. He's going to take him immediately. And the fact he didn't take him, I have no idea. It's like, just you know things about players. That's just part of the thing. And if you're playing in with quote unquote experts or an industry league or whatever, everyone knows the player pool. Everyone knows what's going on. It's like it's just the way it's gonna go. So I I think it's pretty funny.
2: There's so many things to worry about too when you're at the draft table. It's like, you know, you've got your rankings, you gotta keep track of all the players that are being picked, you gotta keep track of ADP. Are you really gonna be keeping track of Dave's, you know, list of closers? (laughs) Exactly. You know, Again, maybe it'll bite me at some point, but whatever, you know, I no, I'd I rather it. put it out than that. But uh in response to your question about other positions, I do do something similar for other positions. I have not completed it yet because of the fact uh, I kind of was waiting to see how the season looked first. Like with uh-huh. closers, the shortened season impacts it a little bit, but it's much bigger impact on, you know, starters and hitters where, I'm kind of still waiting on information and, uh, you know, probably going to do some, some last minute stuff. Uh, um, but I've had, uh, like Alex and someone, someone else, I forget. We're like, I'll pay you like, you know, a couple hundred bucks for your rankings. So I'm like, Oh my God.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, it's funny,
1: man. It, it's crazy. But I agree with you on the, the hitters. I, I I've been kind of waiting. I've been wanting to re update my rankings, but, I, I need to know if they're actually doing this divisional thing, what ballparks yeah. they're playing in. I need to know all that. Yeah.
2: Because Absolutely. I, all that information matters, you know, and lineup slots. You know, like yep. there's still so much information that's going to come out from, well, I guess it's summer training now. Uh, you know, <laughs> the, we don't know right now. You know, I, even when it comes to closers, I'm still waiting to hear more about Kniebel and Hicks. And, uh, you know, I, I put out a tweet about velocity for a lot of these guys. There's a lot of question marks out there that can change these rankings drastically. You know like if the brewers come out and name hater this is our closer, I'll move him, you know, at least into the top 5. So, you know, it it's it's all dependence uh on a lot of this information that's that's still going to come out in the in the coming weeks here.
1: No doubt about it. All right. You have the floor, make me a believer.
2: Okay, we're going to go there. All right. Yeah. Um yeah, so I had to stay on brand here because a lot of people on Twitter kind of know me as the Shane Bieber guy because, you know, like we were talking about before, everybody uh, is all in a stat cast stats now um, where, you know, his hard hit rate is high. So I'm out on Bieber and I'm like, oh, my gosh. <clears throat> and I just don't understand it because how do you like injury prone 37, 35, 36 year olds like Scherzer and Verlander, uh, and I say injury prone because uh, Matt well, Scherzer has a back injury and now Verlander is injured. Um, but even before that, like using a first three round pick on a, on an aging starter like that is just irresponsible in my opinion. Like how much better would he have to be than Shane Bieber for it to be worth that risk? And for me, it's, I mean, he'd have to be a lot better and I don't think he will be, but Basically, Shane Bieber um, is turning into the total package. I mean, I don't know if he's there yet, but I mean, the growth that he's shown is awesome. I mean, I I'm an Indians fan, and so I don't want this to come off like <laughs> I like Bieber because I'm an Indians fan. I've been accused of that, and it and honestly it has nothing to do with that. But I have followed him since the minors. So, dude had I mean, he's a top one percent control guy. I mean sub two walks per nine in, in the majors, sub one walks per nine in the, in the minors. I mean, he's just insane. Um, so it's not like it's an accident that he paints the corners and stays out of the zone a lot because he can do that and then come back into the zone whenever he damn well pleases. Um, he's got phenomenal swing and miss stuff. You know, the first year there was the, fat, the bad fastball narrative that's been put to bed. He had, I think his p was like 15 on his fastball last year. Um, his curve massively improved. Um, if you look at the ex- expected WOBA uptick from April to September, uh, his curve was awesome. Um, his hard hit rate kept going down from May through August. Uh, then it spiked a little bit in September. It might have been running out of gas a little bit by then. I'm not sure. Um, his Fangraph's hard hit rate is right in line with like Verlander and them. I know it's a different stat compared to uh the stat cast hard hit rate but my thing is is there any data suggesting that there's year-over-year correlation for hard hit rate because uh bieber's 2018 his hard hit rate Statcast hard hit rate was uh significantly lower than it was last year so like who's to say that he's not going to improve on that moving forward uh i mean i just don't see any reason why he wouldn't um you know he knows how to avoid Hard contact, uh, not hard contact, but he he uh he knows how to avoid it when he needs to with his stuff in control. Uh he was seventh overall in CSW rate, fourth overall in put away rate, fifth overall in K minus walk percentage, which uh right now is pretty much the biggest measure of success we have for starting. Like if you were to just measure starting pitchers um correlating to their ERA. K-walk minus percentage, I believe, is still the best way to do it. Um, I just don't see a lot to to not like about him. He's healthy. He's young. uh, He's in a system that's known for developing pitchers. Um, It's a good team with a good bullpen. Um, And, uh, you know, I I think that the hard hit rate would be a bigger concern if uh, he couldn't locate his pitches effectively. Like, I look at a guy like... Luis Castillo, um, he needs to have a low hard hit rate because he can't locate his damn fastball, uh, which will lead to much more volatility than a guy like Bieber. Um, So, yeah, I I just uh, I guess I don't understand how that one stat is why people are so down on him. Like, so you you tell me, Bubba, what what is it? How do I need to convince you? What is it? What are you? What are you not hearing? Or is it just like stubbornness? Like I've been against them for years, so I'm not going to go now.
1: Like part of my issue in life is I've been told I'm very stubborn, so that's probably <laughs> that's probably that's probably part of it. I'll I'll admit that much. But and, and I, I I said it like going into last year, I wanted nothing to do with him. This past yeah. year, he he proved me a little more. And what he proved to me to be better was his secondary pitches. His slider and his curveball were just dinky and effective, like really really good. Like, I know we're not, I'm not going to use the StatCast metrics right here, but if you just go to his page and you show the scatter plots of all the pitches in the zone and everything, you see where he's locating those pitches. And he's getting so much, so many swinging misses, so much bad contact outside the zone on those pitches. It's been tremendous. Right. Because if you, if you just look at his four seam plot, like, that's just asking for trouble. I know there was the bouncy ball last year, but that's why there's a 16% home run to fly ball is that fastball is just – it's not an overpowering fastball. It's an average fastball, and it's all over, the, like, the heart of the zone. So that's terrifying. But <laughs> it's it's as you said with Luis Castillo, and I, I talked about it with Corey a couple episodes ago because he took deep dives on stuff on uh, – that I can't even, like, spell properly. And um, <laughs> he talks about, uh, like, guys like Yarborough and Castillo that if they can just establish, get ahead in the count, it yeah. makes their other pitches so much better. And that's what Bieber does. And I've learned right. to slowly – Acknowledge that. So like I'm not saying I'm I'm as against him as I was before because I've admitted the fact that he's you know, it's the old philosophy. There's so many guys that are patient at the plate, just get that over fastball. Like just get it over for a strike, and now you have you're ahead of the count, you can do so much dirty stuff because his curve and a slider is that good. And and the plots show it and his you even look like okay, here are a couple stat cast stats, but it's not the hard hits. Stuff that stands out and it goes to the argument that I'm making. So I'm basically talking myself into this as we talk. But um, like his zone rate dropped down 8% from 18 to 19. So he was out of the zone more this last year, but he had more zone swing and misses. He had uh, barely more zone contact, but more effectively to me, the chase rate went up almost 4%, which is exhibited, like I said. Um, And then the chase contact dropped 8%. So you just start putting a higher chase rate, less chase contact, less zone rate, but better zone like swing and miss. That's just a recipe for like, Dangerous things to take place. Uh WIF percentage went up four percent. Yep. So if like for an argument for your sake, if you ever want to tell people to stop looking at the hard hit, you know, while you're on that page, scroll down to some other stats and tell me what those say. Um, exactly. That could, well, that's that, what I'm
2: trying to say. There's there's it's a bit, it's just one small piece of the puzzle, right? Like it and but people are looking at that one piece and they're overblowing it to mean like, all right, he's in a void, don't take him in drafts. And I'm like, no.
1: Yeah, that my biggest thing I guess. And this is where as I I'm trying to pull up the NFBC ADP right here. My yeah. biggest thing is trying to in my head and obviously you're on board with it because he's he's your your guy. But when we're talking Shane Bieber, he's mm-hmm. made a meteoric rise from just a couple years ago to where he stands now in the 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 I guess Rankings of starting pitchers. So, like, you got Cole, Degrom, Bueller, Scherzer, Verlander, Flaherty. You said you'd already take him over Verlander and Scherzer. So, is he's Bieber, your number four.
2: Yep, he's my number four, and then uh, Flaherty would be my number five. Wow.
1: Okay. So that I guess that's where I think,
2: I think, and that's I think that's what it is. I think the people. And this is what makes me different is that I reevaluate. I start from scratch, right? Like I don't look at my last year's rankings and just like adjust. I start from scratch. And so I think everybody is so hesitant to move him up because it's like, oh no, that's too high. I can't move him up that high. That's just, I can't do that. But it's like, how often do you guys come out of nowhere and become, you know, like first rounders and stuff? I mean, where was, uh, you know, uh, Fernando Tatis, where was he being drafted last year? I mean, granted, we didn't even think he was going to start in the majors, but. I mean, you know, now he's a borderline first-round pick. People come out of nowhere all the time. Um, I I just don't think that's – you know, Juan Soto, when he came up, nobody saw that coming, and then he turned into a third-rounder last year, second-rounder maybe even, and this year he's a first. It's like people can move up significantly, and you have to, like, train your brain to to not be like, okay, that's too much. I can't keep moving him up because of this. Uh, does that make sense to you? My am I, my am I no making... no that a hundred that a hundred percent makes sense.
1: It's a it's a, okay. a great argument. I just I'm gonna have to really sit down and explain to myself now. <laughs> yeah, I just pull I just pulled up my rankings. Like I said a little bit ago, is I, I haven't adjusted in a while. Like I was going to because I was doing it weekly, and then I just kind of said, you know what, I'm waiting. I'm stopping okay, this so, right now. Right,
2: but like let's let's say for a second. I mean, I'll agree with you that like Verlander, if he's if there's no regression, if he's healthy, he'll put up better stats than Bieber. I'll give you that, probably, um, assuming Bieber doesn't take another step forward. But my question is, does that matter? Like, is he going to put up such better stats that it's worth the age 37 regression? That's worth uh, him going through these injuries in the off season now. Is that ri- why is that risk not as big of a risk as Bieber's hard hit rate? That's my question.
1: Damn it, Dave, you're making too much sense. Um, <laughs> okay, well, let, let me ask you this. Well, we're going to take Scherzer and Verlander, injury risk. We're going to take them out of the picture here for a second. Okay,
2: me. yeah.
1: What's the difference? Because I'm a big Mike Clevenger fan. What is it that has you having Bieber above Clevenger? You're a, you're an Indians guy. Clev, yeah. I, is, is it just the, the knee injury, or is there more to it?
2: Um, You know, and – I don't even know if if his injuries will limit him moving forward. Like, I don't – arm injuries scare me. You know, shoulder injuries scare me. Elbow injuries scare me. But um, with Clevenger, you know, being a knee injury. But I think what concerns me more is the back injury. Um, Okay. And he's had several injuries over the last couple of years. You know, it wasn't just like one, whereas Bieber's had zero. Um, And that doesn't mean that he won't be injured moving forward. But I don't – you know, if I don't see any, you know – I don't see any signs of injury with, with, uh, with Beaver, but with Clevenger um, I just think that it's the conglomeration of all the previous injuries and also having a back injury scares me a bit if that, if that makes sense. Now I still uh, like Clevenger is. a lot and I still have him up pretty high. I just would take Beaver and Flaherty over him. That's all. Uh, I would take Clevenger over Verlander. Um Probably over Scherzer. I'd have to look into that more because they both have back injuries. So, um, but Scherzer's a little older. Yeah, I don't know. You know, it's that's kind of how I think of it.
1: Well, that's fine. That's interesting. I'm gonna have to uh, adjust my Bieber rankings. I have a feeling cause yes, it, yes. It, cause it make and like I said, as I've been slowly the more I've looked at his stuff. I'm like, okay, maybe I'm being stubborn, but there's part of me still saying he just gets so much of that strike zone, so much I, of it. I hear you. Scares but me. It scares
2: never, me. It's never gonna it's never gonna be big enough of an issue because his other his off speed stuff is so good that hitters can't just sit on his fastball and, and crank it all the time. He's probably always gonna have, you know, a higher than average home run per nine rate, but so have lots of guys. If you look, if you compare oh, yeah. his profile does yeah, he's very <laughs> similar to Verlander in a lot of ways, honestly. Um and I think he has that kind of upside, too, except for he's not thirty seven and he's not injured yeah. so i just I, I just don't understand how people can continue drafting Verlander over him. but I've also had the pleasure of watching Bieber the last couple of years, and like you know i I don't want to say I'm a believer in the eye test, you know, but I will say this I watched um you know i I didn't know about streaming really before last year, it's kind of really, really watch, both, my friend yeah. I, you know, um, we're, we're just old men who don't know technology apparently, but, yeah. um, you know, I, I never really watched much baseball outside of the Indians games, but you know, I watched a shit ton of Indians games. So I've seen Bieber and I know what an ace looks like and it's him. I mean, it's, there's no question, you know, it's totally different than watching like Josh Tomlin, where my heart is like an explode with every pitch he throws because mm-hmm. it looks like he's running 70 miles an hour. <laughs> so uh but now that i've actually been able to watch guys it, it does seem like there's something to actually seeing guys pitch and being like okay they look like they're legit compared to other guys where i'm like oh god i'm i'm having heart palpitations watching him pitch like Anibal sanchez i owned him last year and i would watch his starts and me and me and my main event partner tony would uh We'd be watching his starts and Tony and I would just be like texting each other, like, Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. These he's just throwing these meatballs and somehow getting away with it. It's like, oh you know, it's uh totally different than watching Bieber pitch for sure.
1: All right, I'll have to go watch some more Bieber and, and keep changing my mind. But uh you've convinced me quite a bit. I'll say that much. I, I'm, not say, I'm not gonna say I'm not gonna say I'm a hundred percent a believer, but I'm
2: you I'm know, swaying, it, I'm
1: swaying that way.
2: It's all about growth, man. You know, the sooner <laughs> you're able to admit that it's okay to be wrong about stuff, shit, I'm wrong oh, about yeah. things all the time. But I learn from those things and then I, I grow and I try to progress and become better.
1: Well, that's the beauty of being a fantasy analyst. We are wrong more than we are right. That is just the oh, facts sure. of the matter. So yeah, yeah. Um, that's a big part of that. So let's see how wrong and right we can be now. It's with some okay. listener questions because we have a lot of them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh Alex came through, he took you to your word, thirty-seven, but we'll get to he him. Did. We have, we have, we have oh, some man. others we have some others as well. So we'll okay. uh, we'll we'll hit some fast, some slow. Depends on what the question is, but some yes. might overlap. Um, one thing I, I love about Dave on, on Twitter, he talks a lot about a strategy for the short season, just building rosters, and a lot of these questions come that direction. So let's have okay. some fun with this. Uh Colin at Gino Bill Bill the Goat. At the Geno- oh I can't read Ginobly the Goat. There we go. That matches this <laughs> picture. Make Makes sense now, Bubba. There you go. Um, Ginobili the goat. He says, what do you think is the most important part of roster construction? Finding late targets first and working backwards has worked for me, but curious to hear you from the experts. So that like you doing NFPCs, the big main events, what's yeah. the most important, for you, important part for you for roster construction?
2: Yeah, I actually love that question because it's actually very similar to what I do. Um... I once there's enough drafts for you know actual ADP, and granted, um, I was gonna go into it later, but you know, with uh, with NFBC live drafts ADP, like it's very different. That, like, when you go there, it's gonna be pitchers going like at least around ahead of where they were going in ADP drafts before that. Um, so you know, you kind of have to adjust, and when you've done NFBC leagues before, you kind of know that. But yeah, so I think what he's saying is he look, he looks at, you know, you want to find your targets, right? And it's like, say you really like some first base targets going late. So if I think that the value in first base is those later picks, then I don't want to use an early pick on a first baseman unless, unless someone falls, you know, just right. And I really like the value at a certain point. Um, I, I do the same thing. Like, I like to kind of look at what, what can I get late? And I'm looking at the ADPs and I'm seeing a lot of uh, starters and outfielders that I can get late. So I'm like, okay, I I really want to avoid taking those when possible earlier. And that doesn't mean, you know, uh, I'm not going to take, you know, Acuna or Trout or Yelich early on if, if that's where I'm drafting. But, you know, I, I'm going to try to fill other positions because – you want to set yourself up where it, it's all relative. So if, uh, I can get X shortstop in the fifth round compared to this shortstop in the 10th round, where does the value lie? Does that, does, does that make sense? Like you want to a hundred percent.
1: Yeah. Uh, one, like, like One thing I preach all the time and I'm curious how you go about doing it is like, I'll do best balls or stuff along those lines. So there's a little skin in the game, but, the more you can learn the player pool, it allows you to make these targets because we all yeah. know the shortstop position is super deep. So do you want right. to go and take like one of the big guys up top, because we know there's such great five tool category guys, or are right. you good with going and getting like a Jorge Polanco or a Dansby Swanson or an Elvis Andres later in the draft? Cause you can get, they're all going to be there super late and then go attack a different position early. I think yeah. that's basically like, what they're saying. And I think that's yeah, a, it helps a ton. Because it's all
2: relative. Like, you know, early on, I, I want the best player, but, I also want to get a position that, if possible, I want to get a position that's that's kind of rare. Um, First and foremost, when I attack a draft, it's looking for rare resources. So um, the number one thing I do is try to find combo hitters because the guys who who are legit hitters who can get hit home runs and also give you steals are at such a premium because those are all the best players, right? Like Acuna, Yelich, Trout to a degree, Betts. Turner even can, can hit some home runs, uh, story, you know, these Jose Ramirez, these guys are great foundational guys because they're giving you everything and they're all, they all have good enough to good averages where it's not going to hurt you too, because the last thing you want is to have to draft these stolen base only guys who tank your power stats, like, you know, Dyson and Malik Smith and all these guys are, we're probably gonna end up in platoons by the way, because none of them can hit a damn lefty. So it's like I want to avoid taking guys who only do one thing. I want guys who – those combo hitters who can hit home runs and also give me some steals. I'm, I'm really focused on that early in the draft. I'm probably not taking anybody uh, who doesn't give me steals unless – like let's say I start with Trey, Trey Turner and Starling Marte. So I'm pretty set at steals in the first two rounds. Then I might take a guy like here in the third instead of maybe uh, another target, Jose Altuve, because he fits my team better. So that's really how I attack the draft. And I'm I'm looking for guys who are not going to tank my average, and I'm not really interested in the big power guys because they're all super overrated because I can get power anywhere in the draft. Um, you know, I, I, I avoid Bryce Harper like the plague. Every freaking year, people try to push this guy up to first round. I'm like, why? He's He steals some bases, but not enough to be relevant. and you know, like, what's the difference between him and Kron, who you can take, what, 100 picks later or something, uh, or 170 or whatever it is. But, I mean, they'll both hit, like, 30 to 35 homers with, like, a 250, 260 average. Like I said, Harper will give you, you know, a couple steals, maybe some more runs in RBI, but he's not giving me anything that I can't get later in the draft. I want to get the resources that are harder to get later early on. And for me, that's steals, it's average, and it's aces. It's pretty much those three things are what I'm looking for.
1: No, I'm with you 100%. We have a lot of similar uh, team-building philosophies. Uh, Starling Marte is a guy that I wind up with a lot, Jose Ramirez. those was like, guys, I, I target early and often. Yeah. Uh, I, I try to get guys, like you said, combo guys at worst, give me like 10 steals each. Like I, I don't want to be empty in a category, um, especially early on. But I think the biggest reason for that is, and you mentioned aces also, if you can lock up you know, power and speed early. If you can lock up a guy with great ratios and strikeouts with an ace, stuff like that, it allows you to be even more flexible later in your draft. Like you don't, you don't have to be searching like, okay, I have to go get this guy. I have to get this guy. Now it's like, okay, this guy fell to here. I know it's a little risky, but man, I can take him now because I'm already stable here and it's huge.
2: How do you build that stable base? And this is what, this is what the better players understand is, you want to build that stable base. You don't want to take your high risk players in the first few rounds of a draft, because if those guys miss, you're crippled. Like I see people taking uh, you know, judge and Alberto Mondesi and Stanton and all these guys who are so risky. And they really don't even, they're not even, you know, complete hitters. Like they, they, they don't even, they give you power. They don't give you steals. And I just, I don't understand why you do that. Like, take risks but take them later get your base down get your top 10 picks in and i'm not t- saying don't draft for upside but draft guys who aren't big injury risks or who aren't who don't have the contact rate of your grandma you know like like mm-hmm. don't draft those guys early take shots on those guys late you know like franchi cordero you know take a take a crappy contact rate guy in the 25th round you know that that's where to take the risks build the base then supplement with risks later
1: Yep, no doubt about it. Uh, Colin has another question for us. Um, also, what is the best way to build a bench? He struggled with the right combination of upside and depth, not to mention adding category help for ones that starters may lack. So kind of what we were just talking about there in a rough way. But Um, do you have anything else to add to that?
2: Yeah, a little bit. Just in terms of what I've one thing I've learned kind of recently that that I've progressed in is I used to try to build my bench to supplement my team really well and and you know that is the goal right like it, it'd be great if you could have these multi-eligible position players um so that you have every position covered if someone gets hurt or whatever and that's great to do but don't do it just to do it like don't take uh a crappy waiver wire guy like evan longoria just so you have a backup third baseman you know like the hit rate in rounds 20 to 30 of a 15 team league is so low that just take guys who are lotto, like take shots on guys. I'm not saying complete lotto tickets, you know, don't make them all risky, but, you know, take your shots where you can, because if they work out, that could be huge for your team. Like people were taking uh, uh, in my super league last year, uh, Fernando Tatis, I think went in like round 21 or something, or 20 or something like that. And we didn't even know if he's going to make a roster, but the point was if he did and he played and he was really good, he was basically a league winner, and that guy ended up winning the league, by the way. So, yeah, like, take those shots, you know? Like, take those high upside shots later in the last, like, 10 rounds or so.
1: Yep, 100% agree with you there. Um, call You already talked to Colin about the head-to-head stuff, so I'm going to pass on that one. Yeah, that's We're fine. Good. That's awesome. okay. We're good there. Because we got 37 questions from Mr. Alex Rinaldi to talk about. I here. know. So, I I, so. I
2: love this dude, but he's like a little chihuahua with, like, <laughs> I, I so the background on this is I jokingly said to him, um, you know, I was, we were looking for more questions and I was like, you know, hey Alex, I know you got some questions, just uh, you know, I'm gonna limit you to 37. And then he literally put 37. At at 37.
1: Yep. <laughs> it's, it's impressive. But he's he's a great guy. He listens to uh to, to oh, okay. Toby Toby and my show a lot, and he's oh, yeah. always got questions, he's always got questions after, and I'm I'm all for it. That's part of like I tell people why we do this. Absolutely, it's you know that help kid people out. Be,
2: He's going to be a monster fantasy player one day because he absorbs everything. And he's got uh, a stats background, too. Like, he works for a hedge fund doing, like, statistical modeling. So, like, if I'm picking a guy who's going to, like, win a, uh, an NFB main event in, like, five years, it's probably going to be him.
1: Yep, probably correct. But uh, let's try to bust through these the uh, the best we can here. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, go. <laughs> first off, Dave, what is your off-season process?
2: Oh uh i don't i don't even know where to start there i i uh i mean just going through slogging through players and i mean you know first you got to get all the news items you know and uh figuring out where guys fit in on teams and um and then i like to just early on get that adp list and go through and look at where do the values stick out? Where am I seeing guys going that, um, and, you know, obviously the ADP is going to change over time, but it just gives you a good base to start from. Um, and that's what I do. And then I, and then I'm looking into, you know, everything from stat cast to fan graph stats and, and, uh, you know, putting all the risks into, into the player evals too. And, and I guess that's, that's my process, but, uh, a lot of it I do last minute because I'm a procrastinator. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, and, and talking with, uh, with my three buddies who, uh, um, do all this with me pretty much. We just kind of talk about everything that we can and, hey, I saw this, or did you see this? And say anything like that pretty much. So I guess, uh, not much of a strict process guy.
1: Yeah. I don't, I don't have anything set in stone. I guess I, I do pay attention to the ADP once we get a little bit of a a backing yeah. for it. Cause the value things, what it makes me do is dive in more on players to kind of exactly. figure yep. figure out why. So I'm with you there. Um, and then like Statcast, cast, you go down to the different searches and you know, why? Like look at the leaderboards in this category, in this category, and this guy stood out, and this guy stood out I'm like, okay, what's this, that and the other things along those lines and kind of right. get a base, what's going on kind of work on your first rankings and whatnot. And then you ready to dive in headfirst because it's all going to come quickly. Um, yep, basically.
2: So and then it's, you know, getting on Twitter and uh, you know, you got a million people who are, you know, smarter than me with stats. I I'm I'm looking at what they're saying and then if it jives with if that makes sense to me, um, you know, like every stat that people throw at me, I'm I'm not always like, you know, okay, this is useful. I kind of sort through, okay, what is actually going to help me progress. So, um, but you know, like a lot of stuff that Toby puts out and stuff like that, I'll I'll definitely um at least consider. And a lot of it jives with what I was already thinking. So that that always helps, too, when, uh, when other smart people agree with you. <laughs> no
1: doubt about it. Definitely helps. Um, are you more of a bottoms-up or top-down analyst kind of guy? And or, if you do both, where do you usually start? I what honestly have no idea what ahead? this means. I don't know <laughs>
2: that
1: one. <laughs> yeah, I have no idea what that means. I'm I've, always been, I've
2: always been a top guy, but you know, I, I've, I respect for people who are bottom guys. Yeah, exactly. I, I
1: apologize, Alex. I have no idea. Um, but this one will be good for you, Dave, because this actually is something you do. Yeah. How has having a partner helped? And then question four, I'm going to tie them both together. So, how has a partner helped? And how do you guys manage that?
2: Yeah. So um, that one, I do know. Um, so my partner, I, I, last year was the first year I had a partner, um, for the main event and it was Tony, who's one of my best friends. And he's also very good at fancy baseball, but he's never, um, played, uh, super high stakes on his own. Like he's never done a main event. Um, he, he doesn't think he has the chops to do a 15 team league. I disagree. I think he does, but, um, basically, What I've learned about myself, and I I know there's a question in there about biggest weakness, my weakness is definitely fab. Um, I'm good at knowing what to bid, but then every once in a while, I'll do something stupid, like throw out a really big bid on someone who I shouldn't. And Tony is like an edit button. He's like, you know, do do we really want to do that? And I'm like, you know what? You're right. I don't think I do. So, um, you know, not that that's the only thing he does for me, but uh, he also helps me a lot with draft prep. He makes us like insane uh excel doc that has like the adp and everything like where it it generates a draft board you type in the guy's like you start typing in the guy's name and then you click it and it puts like them in this draft board on an excel sheet like he's an excel master it's it's freaking amazing but uh he keeps track of all the stats that we have so far you know like we use the Chandler stats to kind of just keep track of here's where we are we kind of have general targets of Here's where we think we need to end up. Um, are we short in this or short in that? And uh, he, he really keeps me on track. And then he, just having another mind um, on my level where I can discuss things like okay, what do we think about him here? We weren't expecting this guy to fall. Um, do we want to take him here? And then we can, you know, switching up our plans. It's a lot easier to adjust when you have someone else at the table with you. Um, my friends and I have always used at the very least a co manager. So uh, where they helped during the draft. Um, but, uh, last year was the first year I like actually had a partner for the whole team, the team as a whole. So like having someone to go over fab every Sunday with was so helpful because like if we disagreed or something, I w- it would make me think and be like, okay, maybe I'm trying to go too high on this guy and he would help me save money. And we actually had money left at the end of the year last year, which is usually my problem. And that's probably why we ended up finishing 10th overall instead of, uh, you know, finishing like 50th or something. So uh, that was uh, very helpful. And we work well together because, you know, he's one of my best friends. And um, it would be difficult, I would imagine, uh, if you weren't, like, real close with someone. Because, I don't know, getting your, like, schedules to line up and everything, and uh, it would certainly be a challenge. I don't know if you've ever shared a team before, Bubba, but that – that would it would be a challenge if it wasn't someone that you were close with. I would think.
1: Yeah, I mentioned earlier I'm stubborn, so um, that if uh, that makes being a partner pretty difficult. Uh, I wouldn't be opposed to it. I just haven't been able to figure it out <laughs> yet because, like, usually the guys yeah. like the guys I enjoy talking fantasy baseball with, we kind of have different philosophies on it. That would make it difficult for
2: me. And that's a big, you know, like you you can compromise some things. I mean, like in the draft, uh, you know, Tony helped me in certain ways uh and then in other ways like we butted heads but it was only like twice that we really butted heads but if you have a completely different philosophy it really makes it probably not worthwhile to uh co-manage a team with i would imagine
1: yeah no doubt about um, it
2: i sound like my friend jake he 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 doesn't want uh he doesn't want a partner <laughs> he's like i'm i can't i can't like uh you know give up the decision making i'm like i i hear you i understand
1: all right. Alex's next question. Do you consider the run environment, AKA the ball in this off season? Did you worry about it? Cause I know there's been a ton of discussion that it's going to get back to the playoff ball or this, that, and the other. I just kind of kept planning like this guy's good. This guy's not like, I wasn't going to really focus too much on it, but are you putting a massive emphasis on the off season with like the ball and all that kind of stuff?
2: Um, I did. I, I put some emphasis, like I, I, lo- I tried to look into it as much as possible to see if it was going to be a juiced ball or not. And um, when sprint training was going on, multiple players were saying that it was not the same ball as last year. It was not the juiced ball. It was back to the, the regular ball or what the playoff ball or whatever you want to call it. Um, so yeah, a little bit, but you know, like I, I feel like it made me more confident in some of the guys who had huge home run spikes. Like, Edwin Diaz, I'm not as concerned about him this year if yeah. if it's not a juice ball, right? Like, you know, stuff like that. I, you yeah, know, it's not pitch, something pitchers,
1: pitchers, I took it into consideration. Yeah. I'll give you that. Yeah. Hitters, yeah. I wasn't going to really worry too much about.
2: Uh, things like, like LeMayhew, who wasn't really going to be a target for me anyways, but without a juice ball, yeah. he's a lot less interesting. Stuff like that. There's some points where it comes into play, but I wouldn't say it, you know, was a huge effect.
1: What other leagues do you play in besides the main?
2: Yeah, so um, I've played in the Super a couple times. I mentioned that before. That is a $2,500 entry fee leak at NFBC, um, where the winner gets twenty grand, second place is 7500 and third place is $2,500. Um i have gotten second once in that and third once in that. Um, third was last year, and it was kind of devastating because... I had a 35-point lead, uh, stranglehold on second, and I was right behind Modica in first. And uh, and then Christian Yelch broke his knee, Starling Marte got injured, oh, no. and about 10 other guys got injured and or benched, demoted, whatever, to the point where I was literally starting three quarters of a lineup, like literally had a quarter of my lineup as dead spots. And the guy who was 35 points behind me, came all the way back because he had money left. And me and Modica, we thought it was a two-team race the whole year. It was just the two of us. And this guy came all the way back from August 11th to September 29th. He not only passed me, he slaughtered me by the end, like, by 30 points and was one point out of first of passing Modica. Like, that's why it is so important for you to keep money at the end of the year. I have lost so much money just by – by the things like this happening because I'm out of money before the end of the season and you need to save some, not a ton, but even having like 10 bucks in the last two weeks is huge. Cause if you have 10 bucks and everybody else is like a dollar or zero, you're like, you know, you, you've got all the money in the world. you It's all relative. You know, it's, you can get whoever you want. Um There's no $0 bids in in NFBC. You know, you can't, uh there's no free agent waiver wire. You can't just pick up a guy. You have to have money to do it. So um, yeah, so that's, that's another type of league I do. And then I also do some fan tracks leagues, usually some, uh, you know, 500 or $1,000 entry fan, fan tracks leagues, because, uh, it's usually slightly lower competition compared to NFBC mains at the ver- or, uh, NFBC live leagues at the very least. It's, it's not as hard. So it's, uh, you want to have that balance of, of making money, but also challenging yourself.
1: Yeah, no doubt about it. That fab saving money thing, I've learned that lesson before as well. Oh, so my God. 100% with you there. If you don't have money at the it's end, huge, it, uh, it's painful. Huge, painful. huge. How do you plan your drafts?
2: Uh, different than like, getting... what we were discussing before. That's probably what I, we were saying before, yeah. I'm assuming. Yeah. Okay.
1: Uh, what are some of the best heuristics uh, for drafting player evaluation what are the what are some of the best places you use for drafting and player evaluation
2: oh oh like sites and stuff
1: that's what i'm guessing out of this yes
2: okay uh i mean FanGraphs is a must um i use you know roto world and rotowire for news um statcast of course um and uh, i love like the articles on FanGraphs and picture list is one of my favorites too like i never agree with other people's rankings like i i find rankings to be fairly useless because a rankings are never static right like how do, how are you going to rank like you know hira and Altuve? they both provide different things how do, how do you compare them you know it's like i can rank one of them over the other but they just give you different things so it kind of depends on your team makeup um but pitcherless is one of the few places that um i really respect their rankings like they're they're not like exactly similar to mine, but they're, they're closer than anybody else's are. So, um, and they do really good. Like uh, they do breakdowns of pitchers. I don't like going hunting for stats. I'm not, I'm not the typical stat nerd um, in case you haven't figured that out. (laughs) Um, There's just people who are better at that stuff. I I like to take their research and just use it for my purposes um, in playing fancy baseball. So, so pitcher list is, is definitely a place I like to go to.
1: No, not about it. I'm a big fan as well. Um, how useful, we kind of hit on this already, but real quickly, how useful is ADP before going into the main? Like you already mentioned uh, yeah. ADP kind of goes out the window, which was what I, the way I look at it, but at least it gives you an idea of the player. Board of, so,
2: yeah, yeah. Um, early on the early, like the first several rounds of starting pitchers is where it kind of, like, not that it goes out the window, but it, it they all move up like a round or two, um, basically. But once you know that, the rest of it is pretty accurate. You can just you can always plan on hitters falling early on, um, but ADP is necessary. I mean, I need that list to show me who's available and who's at the top of the list. Even if I'm not interested in who's ever at the top, it influences what I do. Because if there's, like, let's say if I'm waiting, you know, if I want to take a guy now or the next round, I'm looking at who's still available in front of him, who who's possibly going to go before him to figure out if I – can wait on this guy or if I need to take him now stuff like that so ADP is necessary I mean we we have uh we definitely keep track of all that I, I've got I print out pages of ADP that I bring to every draft so
1: I'm with you there um this is always a fun one with the short season everyone's kind of got a different approach and Alex yeah. asked for the short season what's your rough draft plan for starting pitching because like some guys are saying you want more stability some are saying it's more of a crap shoot how are you approaching starting pitching
2: yeah, so regarding starting pitching specifically, um for me the guys who are going to be much more valuable are the stable guys and the less injury prone guys. It's kind of funny to me that everybody thinks that a shortened season means that <clears throat> the injury prone guys are more valuable now. And I'm like, how does that work? Like it's not like you get injured in the last month of the season. Like a shortened season doesn't mean like you're not going to get hurt. Um for me, uh, if you if you're missing time, you're missing a larger percentage of the season now. If you're a starter, so I want stability, and you know a guy like Bauer, who I was really targeting beforehand, I'm a little more hesitant now because I feel like he's more volatile. Um, I, I think he could put it together again like he did in 2018, but uh, especially without the juice ball. But I, I don't know. Uh, he tinkers so much. And if you have a couple of bad starts from your starters and you get blown up, your ratios are going to be that much harder to recover from a short, in a shortened season, which is another thing. Um, <clears throat> I'm, I'm putting more emphasis on the, on the rate stats compared to the counting stats, because in a full season, you have time to recover with those rate stats. Uh, the counting stats, I'm not as concerned about catching up in. I mean, you can do that with a couple of two starts or, you know, picking up guys to to emphasize certain categories, but you can't recover from era and whip can take months to recover from if, if someone blows it up. So I really want stable guys. I want guys who are going to go seven plus innings. So, um, I see a lot of people pimping like Lizardo and guys like that. And I mean, I'm not saying that they're not going to be good, but I don't think I think we're looking at wrong. I think we need to consider the fact that they're not going to, they're probably still not going to go and maybe even less likely to go like six innings. Now. I think a lot of them are going to be going like five innings because you've got expanded rosters. Now you've got all these relievers that you're not afraid to overuse now in a half a season. You know, why would you leave in a starter when they start to struggle then? Um, so I, I really want the guys who are like established workhorse type guys, like, Zach Cranky, I think, is a, a guy who's going to have a lot more value this year. Um, I was already high on him before, but now, uh, you know, he's stable. He's he's able to go, you know, seven, eight, nine innings even. So, uh, you know, stuff like that is is kind of what I'm thinking.
1: Yeah, no, it's it's a very interesting way to go about it. I agree with the ratios. Yeah, it just takes one – ask Edwin Diaz last year. He had like three yeah. bad outings. That's it. Three. Yeah. The rest of the outings were phenomenal. Right, um, and, and he still had it? a
2: five, six ERA.
1: Yeah, when the sample when the sample size is so much smaller, those ratios are so much harder to fix. Yeah. So just, uh, I'm with you, you in that career, respect.
2: More. You have a couple bad starts, and that those high volatility starters, I want to stay away from them because, I mean, it, or maybe at least keep them on my bench, see how they do for a couple starts, and if it's looking good, then I'll put them in. But I, I just I don't I don't want to blow my shit up early on because I don't know if I don't get off do a good start it's it might take me too long to recover where i might not be able to um get back there to the top.
1: I don't know about it. Um are you taking closers earlier this year because of the shortened
2: season? Yeah. Um I I want to say I, i'm willing to. I, I for me i I always want to see how the draft is going. I want to see when the first closer comes off the board and stuff like that because i'm never the guy who takes the first closer, but Um, you know, I do want to make sure, you know, on my list, that I'm getting a couple of those guys in green, you know, I I probably want to make sure I come out of the first, uh, you know, 12 rounds or 11 rounds with one of Jansen and nearest, you know, someone, something like that. One of my, one of my targets, um, I'm okay. You know, once you have that one, then I'm okay to wait to get the other one, or I might just take them both at the same time. If it makes sense it kind of depends on what falls and all that. Uh, I'm a big believer in giving what the draft takes you. So you're taking what the draft gives you. Um, Like if someone falls who shouldn't, I want to be able to take them. Uh, If it's at the expense of a closer, then I'm going to make sure that I get, you know, my guys right after that. But uh, sometimes, sometimes yeah, I mean if you don't take what the draft gives you, someone else is. So you, you want to take those values where you can. Um, but I do think the closers I think it totally makes sense to take closers earlier than before. And if and if say hater goes much earlier, now I'm probably looking to push my guys up a little bit because usually people get nervous, right? When closers start going oh, the, off the board. The runs happen. Yeah. Yep, the runs happen, which is another thing that goes into uh one of my draft philosophies, which is draft towards the middle between five and ten. Um, because you're less likely to be on the wrong end of a run. Um, And so much more value falls there. When you're on the ends, you're at the mercy of what comes there. And then when you want to take someone early, you really have to jump them because you don't know what's going to come back to you in two rounds.
1: Yeah. The way I see it is like at the ends, I don't mind it, but you already have to realize you're going to have to go get your guys and you're going to have have to do it earlier than you might feel comfortable doing. And not everybody can do that
2: it just sucks the value out of them too. It's like, yep. I, there's guys that I don't, I don't, I try not to fall in love with guys, you know, like if, if the value isn't there, I, I want to, I, I don't want to take them anywhere. You know, like there's very few times where I'm like, okay, I'm going to get him no matter what. Um, It's, it's more because like, you know, if you take, if you, uh, if you love Trevor Bauer, but you're taking him in the third round, how good does he have to be to, you know, make that pick worthwhile? So, I, you know,
1: It's tough. Um, I'm going to combo these two questions because I brought the DH. Um, How do you plan on to speculate on the NL DH, and do you have any pitchers, NL pitchers, that to take advantage of versus the DH?
2: Hmm. Yeah, pretty loaded. NL pitchers to take advantage of with the DH, like pitchers who are going to be worse off because of the DH. Is that what it's asking you? I'm
1: assuming that's what it means. Yeah
2: okay i mean so i i saw someone post that uh madison bumgarner like uh was especially beneficial due to the due to pitching against pitchers um yeah not that i ever wanted anything to do with him anyways but um I, i i'm gonna have to do some more research honestly i i mean there's you know you can look at the difference between the average era for a pitcher in the nl and the al and just kind of quick and dirty do it that way like okay NL is like 0.4 higher or 0.4 lower ERA than the AL. So, you know, you want to add that in. But I don't know. Um, I'm probably gonna have to do some more research on that. I know a lot of people are have been tweeting about that. I've saved some tweets and stuff, but uh I haven't really done that much research on it yet.
1: Yeah, there's been a lot of a lot of tweeting about it lately. So I'm curious to see what else comes of that.
2: Yeah, and I saw your breakdown with uh, on your previous episode with Vlad about every NL team and who could possibly be a DH and all that stuff. So uh, I think that was very good information. So for anyone looking for some suggestions on some players who are going to benefit, um, the uh, Bench with Bub episode with uh, Vlad, I think it was like was the last episode or 286,
1: two eighty six two eighty six two episodes ago.
2: Okay, okay, yeah, that's a good place to start. Uh, I'm also a big Kevin Cron fan. I hope he gets a shot. Yes. Um, he would that. be nice with a uh, with a role.
1: Yeah, I, I wrote about that in roto baller. I did a little quick NLDH, and I looked into Cron's numbers. And he, he strikes out a lot, a lot of swing and miss. But man, when he makes yeah. contact, oh my oh, yeah. goodness!
2: Oh yeah, <laughs> it's it's literally just like dude can hit like forty five homers, but probably yes. also hit like two forty. But that's okay. You know, if you just need a power source. You know, you're gonna be able to get him for next to nothing so he's In one of those guys that at the end of a draft he's one of those guys i would take just to take a shot on him sorry what was that
1: i said at this era of baseball that is totally acceptable 240 with 45 homers. so oh
2: yeah yeah 100
1: percent um how many innings will nate pearson jesus lazardo julio urias throw this year assuming an 80 game season and a 100 game season
2: <laughs> yeah i you know, I've I've I don't even know if Pearson's going to start up. Um, I'm not overly enthused about Pearson's chances this year. I mean, he's in the AL East. Um, I don't love his control. I don't know. I'm I'm just I I think he's a great talent, but I just I know Modica's huge on him. I, I'm just not seeing it. I guess, uh, at least not yet. Um, and for where he goes, it's it's too high for me. Um, you know, Lizardo, super talented. My real concern there is that uh, I don't know that he'll go deep into games, but I do like him. Um, Urias, I don't feel like he's ever going to go more than like five innings. They've got a really deep bullpen. They've got other starters that they can throw in there. You know, they've got like seven or eight starters there. Um, I just, I don't, Urias is not a guy I'm looking to draft.
1: Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see how these young guys get used on this shortened season. But let's talk about a veteran here, David Price. He asks, how does uh, someone like Price, does he benefit from coming over from the AL? And just what's your overall thoughts on Price? Like, I, I liked him with the Dodgers. I think it's a, a good mix. The guy has his ups and downs, but uh, the, when, when he's on, he's one of the better pitchers. And he, on a long season, he can kind of go through all the ups and downs. Shorter season, we'll see. But pitching for the Dodgers, a lot of NL West teams and some AL West isn't going to suck. So what's your thoughts on Price coming over?
2: Yeah, I mean, obviously, with there being a DH in the NL, I guess it doesn't matter that much anymore.
0: Yeah. But
2: uh, yeah, no, I, I, I'm, I'm a fan of David Price. He's, he's uh, a, <clears throat> a little injury prone, but I, I think he's healthy-ish right now. Um, I would say he's not uh like a huge target, but if if he fits into my team, he goes around like 140 or 135 somewhere like that. It, if I'm looking for a starter, and uh, he fits my team well. I have no problem taking him around there. Um, I'm a big Kyle Hendricks fan, but obviously they're very different uh, pitchers. But he goes like 10 picks after that, and I, I do love those stability guys to to back up uh, the uh, aces that you get in the first, you know, 10 rounds or uh, eight rounds, I guess.
1: Did you make any big adjustments last year to improve your main finish?
2: Mm. That's a good question. Yeah, I mean, I the biggest was adding Tony. I mean, having uh having that co-manager, that edit button for Fab, um, you know, making sure we have money at the end of the year. I told him, I said, I don't care what I say, make sure we have money at the end of the season because this shit needs to stop. So, um, and he was he did that very good job of that. So I would say that that was uh, and having him, you know, during the draft was a boon too. So. Um. Yeah. It was. It was definitely Tony.
1: What's easier to get in season? Home runs or stolen bases?
2: Like on the wire? You think he's saying?
1: Yeah, i was assuming a waiver wire.
2: Yeah, I mean, 100 percent uh, homers. I mean, you can. Yes. Power is everywhere all the time. I mean, you know, I'm not saying you're going to find 50 homers on the wire, but <clears throat> you know, a 20 homer, 25 homer guy, you can add to your roster is easy enough. When on the uh, on the uh, very rare occasion where there's a stolen base guy available, he's probably going to go for a shit ton in fab. So oh, yeah. uh, that's another thing that people don't think about. It's like if you're short on saves and steals, those are literally like the biggest ways people spend their fab money. So not only are you losing that money that you desperately need, but you're also in like competition with these guys. And those are also would go in and cl- runs. Like, you know, you talked about the closer run there's almost always a a speed run in the draft too. Like when there's a couple of like stolen base guys left, they very often get pushed way up because it's all that's left.
1: How much do you stream starting pitcher?
2: Uh, Really just if there's someone on my team that I'm sure is not a, you know, a guy that I want to keep on my team. Like he's, he's just uh, either he didn't work out or he's, Looking like he's a streamer at best, you know then i'll I'll drop him and stream early on anyways. like when it comes to the end of the season, if you need to add stats, you need to you know you need to do what you need to do, drop guys, you know, whatever you need to do. but uh, i'm not I'm not uh as much into streaming guys, especially in a short season, because a lot of those streamers are those high volatility guys, and yep. you know you pick up a guy throw him in for a start and he blows up your ERA and whip. Now you're screwed. It's, you know, all because you're trying to get, you know, an extra start in there. It's, I, it, it would be very, very much picking and choosing and it would be guys that I'm hoping would become, you know, stalwarts on my team. Like guys that I would want to keep after I pick them up, not just for like a start or two.
1: Um, do you worry about having too much ownership of one player?
2: Yeah. Uh I'm very much in the, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Even if, you know, even if I'm really high on someone, I'm uh, now I'm talking like early, like in the first, you know, 10 rounds, I try not to over invest, but when you're talking about later rounds, you can, you know, you want, you want to draft, uh you know, Franchi Cordero in the 23rd round in all your teams. That's fine. You know, you're not, it yes, you're, you have a lot of stock in him, but at the same time, it's your, the cost of acquiring it is not very high. So it's fine. Um, but early on, like I like to have, if I have the same position, like if I'm have the first pick of the draft then I would take, let's say, Yelich, I might the next time take Acuna just to have a different player. As long as I like them about the same.
1: Yep. I'm a hundred percent with you on that. It, uh, It's also nice because, like you said, eggs in one basket. If one guy gets hurt and your whole season's done, that
2: really sucks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. uh, Something like that happens.
1: Yeah. So, and I'm with you also. If it's the early round guys, that's one thing. The late round guys, yeah. Go get your guys late. That's part of you building your roster. So, that makes total sense. Um, We mentioned when you got into fantasy baseball. So, we'll skip that one. Uh, What's your biggest competitive advantage and what's your biggest weakness?
2: Yeah. So, weakness. I said before it was definitely my, my fab. Uh, I would just, I would run out of money in the last month and that would screw me so many times. Um, I think my biggest advantage is my, my strategy and team building, because uh, if I haven't made it clear by now, I, I very much don't think it's about getting the statistically, the slightly statistically better player. It's about building a team because um one guy doesn't make or break your team you need to have you know like if i'm going to take this guy i'll take a less skilled player if he fills a position that i think is harder to fill you know it's and i think my ability to think outside of statistics is what really helps me like i don't understand how people don't take injury risk into consideration like like they should i i don't i don't know i am glad that i don't have those issues thinking about it, but i i know that for a lot of people, they get stuck up and hung up on those stats. And uh, while stats are obviously important, you know, uh, it's not the full picture. And I think being able to do player evaluations and evaluate the whole picture, uh, not just stats, but all the risks and all the, the upside and the the ceiling and the floor, all of that is, I think, I mean, I think that's what helps set me apart, but um, probably a lot of factors. <laughs>
1: Yeah, no, it's it's it's, it ha- it's a it's a deep question, that's for sure. It is. Uh, it is. Uh, um, I don't know if this is just fantasy baseball related, so if you have a a different mm-hmm. answer, that's fine. But if you could learn one skill, what would it be?
2: Mm. Uh, in fantasy baseball, it would be how to do my own like modeling and stuff. Like I have no idea how to like you know you see all these yeah. guys. With I would love model. to be able to do that. Yeah, I mean, it seems like it would be super beneficial. Like I know what I would want to see. I just don't know how to make it, that happen. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know how to pull data from sites and stuff. And I mean, I'm super jealous of the people who are uh, able to do that. So that would be the trait I would like to be able to add. And hopefully eventually.
1: I'm a hundred percent with you. Like when I put a spreadsheet together, I feel accomplished, but it takes me yeah. probably four, 40 times <laughs> longer than anybody else because yeah. I, I'm I'm like one thing at a time when they probably like hit three buttons and then I know, up, so. I know I
2: know i just I mean I feel like I'm not that bad with technology but there's just some people man who are, who are really great stuff yeah and I'm jealous
1: all right this is a quickie for you are the yep. Indians going to make the playoffs
2: oh god huh <laughs> what are we okay so what's the current you know are we are we we're not doing the three super divisions anymore right we're going back to normal but there's seven teams per league making the playoffs is that correct
1: I think it's still the three super divisions but for the playoffs oh, really? Well, okay. It's like you're you're playing in the three divisions, but you're playing AL NL. It's basically if you're say you're in the Central, the Indians yeah. will play two thirds of their games against the AL Central and the other third against the NL Central. That's your season, and then I believe it's seven teams from each league go to the playoffs. So okay, it's a weird so, dynamic. So there's still three divisions, but in theory, it's still the six. If that
2: makes sense. Okay. I mean, if, if seven teams are making the playoffs as of right now, I'll say yes, but I'm very concerned that the Indians are either going to trade Lindor right before the season starts or quickly into the season. Um, I'm hoping that doesn't happen, but obviously without him, I don't see us. I mean, if we, even if we made it, I don't, we're not going to, you know, make any noise in the playoffs for sure. Um, I also, you know, i you can see from my closer chart, I'm not high on Brad hand this year. Cause he got hurt last year and never really recovered. Um, like they brought him back after he missed some time with some mystery, you know, injury or arm, you know, fatigue or some shit. And they brought him back and he s- still looked bad. So like, I need to see a lot out of him in spring training, but I have a feeling that if he's not right, that could also precede the Indians selling off and, and even if he is right, they could they they could easily just trade him off too. Um, him and Lindor seem like the two biggest um, trade possibilities, I would say. But um, yeah, I don't know. I you know if they get off to a good start, they'll probably go for it. Um, but if they trade off, there's no way they're making the playoffs. So, I'll say yes for now.
1: All right, I already know the answer to this one. One game, life on the line, Bieber or Clevenger? That's Bieber. Clevenger. <laughs> uh, I, I got that one established by now, so I can answer that one for yep, you. Yep, no, you, um, you got it. The next one, thoughts on later steel guys like Wong, Birdie, Newman? Do you just have like, do you have a preference on a late round steel guy that you're looking at right now?
2: Um, I mean, to some to some degree, I I like all of those guys. Um, you know, I heard you talking with uh, with Vlad about Bertie with the with the NLDH, it certainly opens up some more possibilities for him, um, and he's pretty cheap. Uh, I have a feeling he's going to go f- probably slightly higher in the main event, but um, you know he's still, he's still good. But, you know, my strategy is to not have to worry about late-round steals, guys. You know, my strategy is to get my steals in the first six rounds when I can get those hitters that give me everything, including steals. Um, not to say that I don't want, you know, any steals later on, but uh, I'm not really looking for steals guys later. Um, I do, I do kind of like Wong because I feel like he's going to be cheap. And, you know, last year he stole like 24 bases after, you know, he was always like a steals guy, but then he hadn't stolen for years. And, um, yeah, I don't know if he gets, uh, he looks like he might be the leadoff hitter there and uh full-time second baseman now. Um, he's not a bad dart to throw at, honestly. I, I kind of like that.
1: Yeah, Wong's a guy. I've so If he's going to be leading off, that's a, like you said earlier. Once we figure out the kind of lineups and all that, if we find out Wong's leading off, he's going to move up that draft board big time. Like good, yeah, as I shallow as second base can be, like that's huge.
2: Right, and and so that's another reason why I was talking about you know taking a second baseman in the third round because it is tough to find a second baseman this year. Um, yep. You know, you got you got Hampson and, and Wong kind of going in the same area. Um, Hampson is obviously a much higher upside guy. Uh, he he exploded in September. It was just playing time questions I, I hate the Rockies when it comes to playing time and the Rockies and the Rays drive me crazy yeah, But now you're uh, gonna
1: give them extended rosters it'll be even more fun
2: yeah I mean so I'd probably rather take a shot on Hampson for sure than, than Wong because the upside is that much higher but um, plus flexibility is second and outfield mm-hmm. I believe but uh, yeah. yeah I kind of like I kind of like Newman for that too because he's second base and shortstop so yep. I kind of like all those guys if I need them you know like if they fit my roster at the time they're they're all guys I'd consider
1: all right, I know the answer to the next one. General thoughts waiting for steals late. You just said, nope, yep, that's not right. happening. Yep. Um, this is kind of a interesting question because in, ideally you like to think you have it figured out, but there's always a question mark. General thoughts, or no, what will be your team's biggest weakness coming out of the draft? Uh, obviously, you, you're speculating right now, but more yeah. often than not, when you draft your strategy, what's your biggest weakness that you know you have to take care of?
2: Yeah, it's it's uh it's usually just starting pitching um because I usually go hitter heavy um you know like in my first ten picks it's usually six or seven hitters um you know usually there's closer or two in there too uh I want to get my ace but then it, again as I've told you I'm I always try to stay flexible so if a great number 2 starter comes along and falls to me at a, at a value that I deem is a good value I'm going to take him um but if not I'm usually willing to wait a little bit on on starting pitching so uh you know they say you can't come out of a 15 team live NFBC draft feeling good about you know your whole team and every position um but I I generally feel good in power and steals and average um and I usually make sure I get my saves so it's pretty much just starting pitching that I usually feel like could be supplemented.
1: Yep, I'm with you there. There's always something that feels off about starting yeah. pitching, so yeah. I'm 100% with you there. Um, all else being equal, do you prefer whip or strikeouts?
2: Uh, I'm I not mean, really sure where we're
1: going with this, but yes. I,
2: I think, think it's like if I want to put more focus on drafting a pitcher with good yes, whip or with good Ks. I mean, I need a mixed, right? Like, so if I'm taking a guy like cranky who's going to give me really good ERA and WHIP, I but you know the strikeouts might be a little lacking. I'm probably looking to take you know an upside K guy at some point after that to kind of balance it out. Um, in a in a vacuum, I would say WHIP because I again don't want to blow up those ratios. Um, I always feel like you can add Ks, you know, you can stream guys and stuff, uh, Ks and wins. You can make up, but uh, good weapon, good ERA, you can't.
1: Who is one of your favorite late darts?
2: Dylan Bundy is is probably yes. my favorite. Yeah, um, I'm pretty pretty set on getting him in every league I can.
1: We got two questions left from Alex. Um, oh. Most controversial take.
2: Most controversial pick. Take
1: like oh, uh, take. take yeah.
2: Oh. I mean, uh, it's been different at different times. When I, when I said <laughs> I'm not ranking sale, that was pretty controversial at the time, but I think by now they realize it's not so controversial. Um, I mean, obviously my Shane Bieber fourth top four starting pitching, starting pitcher seems to be somewhat controversial. Um, uh, I think also that I'm I'm always the low guy on Bryce Harper. I, I don't know why people like him so much, but that that's another thing that seems to be controversial, I guess.
1: All right. Last question. What are your thoughts on Danny Santana and would
2: you draft him? (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Um, There's probably a time that I would bite the bullet and take him, but he's not a guy I want to have on my team. Honestly, I, his, um, I mean, his, his, his track record is not good. And, um, that contact rate scares the shit out of me too. I, I really, you know, I, I try to avoid the low contact rate guys, especially in the top like, you know, hundred and fifty picks or so. You know, if if you're taking a guy, you know, like I've used this example before, like Franchi Cordero, like late, that's fine. But I don't want anybody to build like be like one of my building blocks, uh, with that kind of contact rate.
1: Yeah, no, that makes the ton of sense. I haven't been able to fall in love with Danny Santana either. But I just no, haven't. Yeah. Like there's some guys you can see to it for one season, you're like, okay, I believe it, and there's other guys you got to prove it to me a little more and Danny's one of those guys. That is, yeah. And I just, I'm, not, I, I I'm think, not there.
2: I think his, his, it's that his floor is so low, right? Like yeah. it's, he's probably going to be decent, but it's that if things fall apart, it's like Alberto Mondesi. It's like, he can really fall apart.
1: Definitely. Uh, we have three more listener questions here. Thank you, Alex, for all of your questions. Those were outstanding. <laughs> um, I do
2: appreciate though, that, uh, th- that though, Alex, those, those are, uh, honestly really well thought out, yes. uh, Quick questions too. You sent those things in like in like five minutes. Yeah,
1: that was that was money. That was good. Um sure. John, John Fish at Fish two four eight three. Very good yeah, player in of, his own right. Yeah. Yep. Um yep. do you have category targets for the first few rounds? Example, do you ideally want roughly 75 steals, a solid average, uh two stole two starting pitchers through the first six rounds, so on and so forth. When you're going, say, first ten rounds in your draft, what's your ideal start look like?
2: Yeah, I saw that question, and it's a good question. Um, I think, like, Sean Childs used to say, like, you know, you want to – I forget what it is now, but it was something like 75 homers and 25 steals in your first three picks or something like that. That doesn't sound right, but I don't know. Um, No, I've never really done that before because you can can get them, you know, all throughout the draft, right? You just have to have a plan to do it. So I just – if I'm getting steals early then I don't have to worry about them as much later on unless it just happens to fall into place but um I was telling you we do have like team draft targets like rough targets uh I, I I'm bad at remembering what they are it's probably in Tony's spreadsheet but basically like just to make sure that we're not real low on any you know category and those targets are out there there's kind of like Averages for NFBC leagues for 15 teamers and 12 teamers are different, obviously. Um, But uh, you can find those those uh, targets out there. I just use it as a way to just make sure I'm on track in the draft. I I don't really uh, do the like three round thing or anything like that.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a good way to do it. I kind of keep a little side sheet going to make sure I'm in the ballpark of the top, you know, 75, 80 percentile, whatever it takes to kind of get you an idea of where you're going. Um, Jake Halesker asks. That's my how, boy. That's your boy. I thought so. Um, yep. How would you gauge the importance of drafting opposed to in-season management when it comes to succeeding in a non-draft champions in League? Is it 50-50 or something else? Like, are you putting more weight on the, on the draft or in-season? How do you approach that?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, you're not going to win any kind of NFBC, like, big league unless you're good at both. Um you can't really have one and not the other. I, I would say if you have to pick one, I, I would rather have a good draft just because without that solid foundation, you know, if I, if my draft is a big implosion, I, I'm not going to be able to pick up enough on waivers to recover, especially in a short season, but really in any season. So um, you need both, but if I had to pick one, it would be the draft.
1: All right. Last question. I saved this one for last. Okay. Um, guilds at the underscore guilds oh god would would you cut shane bieber's hair for free (laughs) (laughs) this is why i saved it for last
2: (laughs) this guy is such a troll man oh my god so i i think uh he's he's pretty much the only person i've really gotten into a fight on twitter i felt really embarrassed over too but uh Yeah, I, I would uh I would not cut Shane. I mean, I'm not really that uh starstruck kind of guy and I, I know the <laughs> the thought the theory is out there that I'm in love with Shane Bieber, but uh uh no I just I'm a fan, but uh uh he, he can get his hair cut by best cuts or wherever he goes, it's fine.
1: Hey, I love it. I love it. All right, well, this was a lot of fun. We went through a lot of stuff talk strategies all you got you made me uh, almost a believer we're we're getting there oh, so, yeah. uh, we're we're gonna
2: keep going on that though
1: i mean yeah, and we're a- gonna we're gonna work on that maybe by twenty twenty one full season we'll be in um why don't you let everybody know once again where they can find you what you got going on and uh plug away
2: yeah um I'm on twitter at uh run d mcd uh d m c d um and uh you know i tweet out a good amount of stuff um so you can feel free to come follow me there and then uh i also have uh a website that uh jake and i run together but uh we we hadn't really done much on it the last couple years but um the one thing we do do is i got my my closer rankings around there uh with all the risks for each closer we've got uh um Speculative saves guys, guys who are next in line we got closer depth charts too um all pretty useful, and I keep it updated throughout the season too, so you know anytime you go back uh just check one i'll I'll list whenever I updated it last but um and then we also do two starts and uh something that I came up with the idea for like maybe ten years ago uh what I used to do uh that I think has become more commonplace now nowadays, but uh you know, when you've got the guys coming up for a two starts this upcoming week, everybody's you know trying to get them. I like to look ahead to the two weeks, the the, the following week, and basically look at who's going to be getting two starts later, so I can pick up a guy for cheap uh, because nobody's looking at him because he's not two starting this week, but he'll two start the next week, or at least you know in theory, assuming the schedule stays the same. Um God help us with the schedules this year though. Who knows? Oh, it's gonna but, be a mess.
1: Gonna be a mess. Yeah, it's
2: gonna, be, it's gonna be a mess. But uh we're gonna try to stay on top of that and uh update it for you guys too, just to kind of help people out with uh who to pick up for two starts. And we kinda uh, you know, if it's in cores or whatever, we give you like a warning and stuff like that. And like so just kinda kinda keep track of that. So that's at uh rotosource.com, uh rodo like rotisserie roto and then Saurus like a Bronosaurus, so <laughs> Love um. It. Yeah, and then uh, that's pretty much it for now. Uh, I'm hoping to uh, get more information out to you guys as much as possible.
1: Well, I love it. It's uh, been a pleasure getting to chat with you tonight and get to know you over the last uh, months to a year or so on the, the Twitter. So I'm looking forward to some more interactions, and uh, we'll do this again sometime.
2: Absolutely. And, hey, uh, thanks for popping my podcast cherry, Bob. I appreciate it. No Ooh, problem. I, I always –
1: I always enjoy the first time podcasters. It's always a blast. But uh, uh, thanks for joining me, and we will do it again sometime. Everybody, this was Bench with Bubba, episode 288 with Dave McDonald, the Rotosaurus. We'll catch you guys later.
0: <laughs> thanks.